You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. From, uh, from our pastors and leaders, you know, I, I said to them several months ago, I want you to go and I want you to get a faith target. And so these targets that they talk about, because we, we're not people who set big goals and targets and do a lot of stuff into that, but at the same time too, you know, if God speaks it into your heart, it becomes a faith thing, becomes a word of God. And they went away and wrestled with God and sought God and believed God for that. And, uh, you know, not something that would be kind of, you know, out of this world, but something that God can speak into and do and work through us because it's time for this. So I kind of love hearing their, their heart and their passion because today is a day where we not only talk and dream of what's to come, it's a day to commit ourselves to make it a present reality. That's what we're here for. And Leonard Sweet wrote a compelling book at the turn of the century. I read it back in 1999. And uh, it's called Soul Tsunami. And as a sociologist, he asked that, that compelling question, can the church make the future what God wants it to be? So it's, a, it's a stunning question. We look at that nearly 20 years down the road since that book was written, since the turn of the century. And it's interesting to say, what kind, if any, impact has the church actually made in the West? which is an interesting thing, because we get told over and over again that the church is a dinosaur, it's irrelevant, it's, it's, some, it's abusive to people in the society, all kind of things, but God has a vision for his church, and he wants it to become a reality. And nearly 20 years ago, he asked that question, and it's just as relevant today. Can the church, can we make the future into what God has designed it to be, he dreams it to be, and he has called it to be. Can we do that? Because the reality is we could sit back and go, well, it's up to God. It's his business. He needs to do that. God works through his people, not in spite of his people. This is God's plan on planet Earth. He doesn't magically come down through angels or, or some kind of extraterrestrial beings and do the work. He does it through ordinary people like you and me. And, and we need to ask this question. Pastor Simo and I were meeting. He made me feel old this morning. I said, oh, I, I bought the suit just for you guys. I'm what are you dressed up like? He goes, look, us young guys don't dress like that to go to church, Keith. I'm going, you're calling me old, aren't you? <laughs> Thank you. That's your mandate to reach those young adults. Because we were actually talking about that the other day. And this guy, he, he, he gets into the culture and he, he listens to things and he reads things because he's got to reach this generation called the millennials and the challenge and the changes that are just so far out there that make it so difficult to reach these new generations. It says we cannot afford to shrink back or have a bunker mentality. This is not about hiding and surviving. We can't see the church as a fortress where we protect ourselves from the world. There used to be... There used to be an old hymn, a mighty fortress is our church. No, nah. it said a mighty fortress is our God. God is our fortress. He is our stronghold. He is our shelter in the time of storm, not some group of people that we get together and we just hide and survive with this mentality that God rescue us. You know, if, if there's one thing I have with a rapture view that I take issue with, now, you can ask me if I think it will happen and when it will happen, and you can argue that theology all you want to, but I'll just tell you what I know. Jesus is coming back. Get ready. That's all I can tell you. But this I do know. The people who get captured with this rapture mentality, it's an escapist mentality. 
God, get us out of this horrible world. God doesn't want to rescue us from a horrible world. He wants to send us into a, a broken world to be born again. I just don't like that escapist mentality. I had somebody say to me, Keith, why don't you preach out of Revelation and put up the charts? And I went, I remember that. I got saved when all that was happening. Scared the you-know-what out of people. You know, it left behind. My goodness, that movie wasn't to give people faith. It's to scare them to death. Listen, God hasn't called us to scare people, but equip people, make them confident to believe that we can change this world we're in. And I believe that uh, our guys have got that. This is what Simeon was talking about. We're not, we're not dealing with young adults who have the same view of things. You know, I, I don't know if you like it. I, I watch The Chase. I love the trivia. If there's something I try to do every day at 5 o'clock, it's get home and watch The Chase. Unless I got some whining staff member wanting to keep meeting. No, no, no. That, that, that no, but I like to get it. I like the trivia. And I said to somebody the other day, you know, it's interesting that the young, I think I said it to you, the younger generation, um, when they interview them, go, hey, if you win some money, what will you do? 99.9% .9 of the younger generation says, travel, travel. It's all about getting away and going somewhere that's not home and it's not reality and it's fanciful for us and we can enjoy it. But listen, sweetheart, someday you've got to put down roots and come back home. You've got to come to reality. Traveling the world is nice, but it doesn't change the world. It just gives you a trip. And there's nothing wrong with travel. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. Can you not see beyond just tomorrow and your trip? Can you not see a broken world that needs to be saved? We need to raise up a generation that has hope for the world, not a disbelief in the world. You know, a generation that doesn't have the bunker mentality. And sad to say, the church has become that. And instead, it needs to be a mission outpost to the kingdom of heaven. Not about the four walls with our drawbridge that goes down. We've got our stained glass windows in our fort. Drawbridge goes down just once a week so we can exit and go charge into the world. But we retreat back into the fort and get safe away from those sinners. Broken people. Dirty people. No. It's vital that we see the church as a mission outpost for the kingdom of heaven. And, and I'll tell you, at Victory, the, the staff, the leaders, we believe. We, just, we, we believe God has said it is time. It's time for growth and it's time for influence. Isn't it interesting that God often does things in time that are counter to the time we live in? It says in Galatians 4, at the right time, Jesus came into the world. God sent his son. Now, it, historically, geographically, uh, economically, politically, if you looked at it and you went, I wouldn't have had a plan like that at that time. Doesn't look smart, God. I mean, I don't, need to tell, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but you sure? Was that, the, was that really those people, that little nation? You sent your son at this moment in history? God has a way of his suddenlies breaking into these moments that the world would say are irrelevant and doing something amazing. And so we're going to go back to that scripture, you know, Isaiah 54. Uh, several weeks ago, I preached on that, 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 the part of the scripture where it literally says, let them stretch out the curtains of your tent. It is time for us to get stretched by them, by the people out there who need what we've got. You know, you, I heard somebody say out in the business world that, you know, they, they were looking at their business plan and they're looking at everything going on in their life and somebody just spoke this phrase to them and it's like, it was like a prophetic in the natural and they did it and they said this, it's time to share the wealth. And it's time for the church to share the wealth that is hidden inside and get it out there for the kingdom of God. Let them stretch you out to do this. 
Let the them of the new generations that are coming, the them of the people around us that are broken. But in verse 2, let's go back to that. Enlarge the place of your tent. Now that's prophetic. Take more space. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. When we left Fraser Parade, we were just this, you'd call it this little monopoly in a little hidden away cul-de-sac in one location. And God had this engineering to do that none of us would have scripted. Some didn't see it. I didn't see it. I like it that God doesn't have to wait for us to see it before he starts doing it. I don't mind that. Because then it helps me see it when he does it. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves now week after week throughout the city, reaching into eight different locations to make life and ministry happen. Whereas we used to do it in this one place where even the people around us didn't want us there. And now in a lot of the places we're at, they're glad we're there. This place here is, they're over the moon that we're here. The church out there, spread out the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. This is what I want to focus on today. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Who's been camping out bush in a tent? Hands up. Not enough of you. Well, that's plenty, but not enough. Sorry. Colored water. Oh, that's good. I was going to pop a, a holes, you know, a vapor drop into my mouth. I heard a pastor once, he decided how long his sermon would go by popping one of those into his mouth. And when, it, when it, he finally got finished with it, it's time to finish the sermon. Uh, one day the sermon went terribly long, found out he'd popped a button in his mouth. <laughs> so I wasn't going to do that to you today. All right, so in our younger days, Simeon, our younger days, I remember when, that sounds old, doesn't it? In our younger days, uh, we used to love camping in the Flinders Ranges. Who's been to the Flinders? A few of you, camping, awesome. Jim, you've been everywhere, man. On a bicycle. Yep. And, and we used to love, Janet loved this. Can you imagine Janet doing this? She loved climbing the big river gums and getting up in them. I got a picture of her and the kids sitting on this massive branch that no longer exists. But anyway, um, and, 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 and the kids would get out on their mountain bikes and they'd go riding. And we had one of these pop-up trailers where the beds went out the ends. You remember those kind of things? Yeah. No fridge, no stove, none of that stuff. And, and it was kind of rough and ready. And then we'd put an annex up and tarpaulins out over the beds to, to keep the sun off and all kind of things. I can remember one night in the Flinders Ranges. We're parked down near a creek. Um, Flinders Ranges, uh, Wapena Pound's right there in view. Awesome. And I remember in the night, a windstorm started. I don't know if you've ever been kind of more inland when a windstorm hits. Oh, my goodness. You cannot keep the dust from getting in anywhere. We're laying in bed, and you can hear this thing rumbling down the creek through the gully like a train was coming at you. And you'd brace yourself as it got closer, and it hit, boom! And it didn't just shake the camper, it lifted it off the ground. And we're laying there for hours. Funny enough, the kids slept through it. And we're laying there for hours thinking, is this thing going to throw us through the air? I mean, I grew up in Tornado Alley. I know what these kind of things do. And the next morning, we went into the kiosk, the bush kiosk, and there was a young couple there talking about how the night before their tent poles got bent in the storm. That's how violent it was. 
everybody who's gone camping with tents, annexes, and tarpaulins, and they want to spread out and take more space, know that, that two things are critical for stability. Two things. Number one, there's got to be attachment. You've got to have this attachment to something that anchors you to something that's not going to get destroyed. Secondly, you've got to have something to make it resilient. There's something that's got to give you the strength to resist the storm. And so while this scripture speaks of enlarging the house, it equally talks about strengthening the house. Okay, so he says this, lengthen your cords. Back in verse 2, let's focus on that just for a second. Lengthen your cords. And this speaks of the necessity of attachment. Remain connected. Stay connected. Don't go beyond where your strength takes you. He says, listen, get tied to. It's imperative that as, as the ropes get stretched out there, that they stay firmly attached to something that's stronger than itself. The tent is stronger than the rope. Have you ever thought about that? The very thing that's giving you the ability to go larger still needs the strength of the main thing. The rope doesn't become the thing. The rope must stay attached to the thing strongly. I don't know if you ever had an annex or a tarpaulin break loose in the night. You know what happens. Not only does it start flapping in the breeze, but everything it hits, it damages. Right? And it's great that we're spreading out and, 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 and we're taking out beyond the comforts of church. But I'm telling you, I've seen time and time again where people try to go too far beyond where they are attached. And not only do they do damage, they get damaged. And it all looks good at first. Hey, we're going way out there and we got this new thing and we're doing this new thing. And they're getting less and less attached. And before you know it, bam! Something breaks. Damage. And the more we grow and spread out as opportunities arise, we have to keep a strong connection to the house. Staying firmly connected to this thing I call a covenant community, the church. He says very clearly in Ephesians 4, that's what gives you maturity and stability and combined strength and effort. Hey, one can fight a few. But two can fight thousands. Pity the man who stands alone. Because when the rope breaks, who's going to be there to pull him back in? Two are better than one, Solomon says. It's this covenant community we call the church. This is why we do this day. It's not about a suit. It's not about balloons. That's, it, those are nice things. I love it. I love the atmosphere. I love the celebration. But when this is over and the dust settles and the kids break the balloons or fly off with them somewhere just want to give you that picture today because it might be your kid, Simon. I saw Joshua. I had to grab him. He was heading to one. I can fly. Oh, he's got character, that kid. Oh, man. Where'd he get it from? Oh, right. Yeah. I think it's combined character, which is incredible. When all of this is over, we're back to... Does the city even know we're here? Do the people where you're at even know you're born again? You know, in the gym, I don't tell people I'm a pastor. 
It's not because I'm ashamed to be a pastor. It's because there's this persona, there's this image, and now it's a tainted image because of all the royal commission and abuse. So I don't tell them that. Because, number one, half of them don't even know what that is. I had one guy come in my office and he saw one of my certificates, pastoral counseling, goes, I didn't know you used to work on a farm. Did you think I counseled cows or something? It will be okay, Bessie. Listen, you'll live a good life before we eat you. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I tell them in the gym, I, I, I lead some churches, some awesome people in the city. That's just what I tell them. I don't want them to focus on my position. I want them to know about you. So anyway, stay connected. The prophet goes on and he says this, don't just lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. And this speaks of being resilient, resistant. You know what resilient means? Resistant in the storms. Drive it in deep. The, the message says it this way, drive the tent pegs deep. And it's crucial that the stakes are driven into solid ground. And by that, the tent becomes resistant in storms. Now, here's the deal. Anybody that's been camping, particularly even if you set up your, your, your annexes in a, in a sandy place. Or for us in South Australia, it was a, it was a bulldust place. You, you either had ground that was as solid as a rock. And I meant jogging on that stuff was like jogging on cement. Or you had this thick red dust called bulldust. It'd either be one or the other. You would never, ever put your stake. I mean, you could take a stake, doesn't matter how long that thing is, if it's bulldust, you go, gee, that's easy. Now let's do the next one. I'm telling you, if you're fluffing the night, the thing's coming out. It's not going to stay. It's not going to remain. It's not going to have any ability to resist when something comes and, and, and comes against it. Because solid dirt or sand is not going to hold you in place when the storms hit. It's not if they hit, by the way. Every Christian will go through storms. Sometimes this modern day church and gospel forgets to tell us how to get ready to face storms. We want to preach triumphant. We want to preach victory. We want to preach overcoming. But we need to do it in the face of opposition, not that there is no opposition. Listen, you're only victorious if you've got an opponent. And we won't talk about that with the rugby last night. You didn't pray for the rugby today. And you didn't pray for the Socceroos. Well, they didn't lose. It's all right. They did. They did very well. I thought, I, I watched it, and I'm not even a soccer person. I thought it was, Janet watched it and went, wow. I didn't know these people had skills. We're not used to that kind of football, are we? They ask us, how in the world can you call that American stuff football? We say, well, it occasionally touches our feet. So you might not know this, but it evolved out of soccer and rugby. You wouldn't know that today, would you, by looking at the thing? Anyway, I digress. Let's get back on it. When the storms hit, and here's the deal, guys. We know storms have come against us as individuals. They come against your marriage. And better are marriages standing together than a couple standing alone. Um, we just got the tragic news again this week. We, we were in pajamas three, three days. I've never been in pajamas that long in my life, but three days straight because of sickness. And on the Tuesday, 
I get a phone call. I need to, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but one of our close friends in ministry has fallen. Another one. So you can get stretched out there, and this, these are people who you would have thought, wow, they do awesome things. Look how great their ministry is. Be careful. Be careful. Because once, even as a couple, you remove yourself beyond the safety of being together with spirit-filled couples, man, it's dangerous. I don't care who you are. If King David can fall, any one of us can fall. Why did King David fall? He was not with his army where he should have been. He removed himself, and he was not resilient at all. And the deal is this, when those winds blow against us as a church and as individuals, we have got to be driven, in, and I'll use that word, driven into a rock that doesn't move. Drive the tent pegs deep. And I want to tell you something. That rock, Jesus said it himself, he said, and upon this rock, Matthew 16. Now what's he talking about? Men, scholars, theologians have argued for years, is it Peter? Is it the word? Is it the confession? Is it Jesus himself? I think it's every one of those. I think he uses ordinary people like Peter. I think he uses people like that. But uh, it's also his word because he said in Luke chapter 6, let's flip this up there. I love the way the message says it. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. Oh, how many so-called Christians, Christianity is an appendage rather than the center of life? Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Listen, the kind of things that we're talking about doing in the future are not upgrades to life. They are life. Okay. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. This isn't a manual or a counseling book. This is the word of life. Okay. Don't get me on that. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. That's our rock. Who he is and what he said. He is the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. Some people have got the wrong picture there. How many of you have ever seen gates attacking? I mean, can you imagine? Oh, gates are coming against me. Somebody rescue me, they're falling on me. The only time gates damaged people was when, when uh, Jericho fell on people. Gates don't attack, they hold out. You know what Jesus is literally saying? And the gates of hell will not hold out the church of the living God. That's what he's saying. Because it's this rock I will build my church. And it's on my word and my promise and my declarations, I will build this thing that has never existed before and it will exist because the gates of hell will never take it out. It will take out the gates of hell. I like, I think it was C.T. Studd, the old great missionary who founded the WEC movement. C.T. Studd was a famous cricketer in England who, who could have gone all the way in cricket, gave it all up to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He lived in a day where he had to leave his family in England for years as he went and pioneered overseas. I don't know how many people do that today. They asked him, Mr. Studd, where, what a name, Mr. Studd. Gosh, where would you build a church? And he said, don't call me to a comfortable chapel somewhere that's ringing a bell. Let me build it right near the gates of hell. I will build my church. The gates of hell 
will not overcome it. And as I said earlier, I'll say it again, as leaders and staff at Victory, we believe that God's telling us it's time. It's time for growth. It's time for growth as disciples who make disciples. Now, I'm going to say this as Alabama simple as I can. This is the only commission we have been given. It's not the only thing we do, but there is nothing higher in being commissioned than this. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is our commission. I love Dan Spider's book, Four Chair Discipling. We are not called to discipleship. We are called to make disciples who make disciples. And, and we have to grow in this area. Without this vision of making disciples, it's just a corporate structure and endeavors. That's all it is. And we have to grow as a people who are passionate about spirit and truth. Without the Holy Spirit burning within us, we're just using our own energy, which we'll use up. And it'll be us convincing somebody this is a good way to follow instead of the Holy Spirit convicting people and converting them. We need the Holy Spirit. And, and a fire's got to burn in us for an increase in encounters. These things are not new, but these things need to ramp up. And we need to see a growth in ministry and leadership. One of the things we were talking about, this new generation disregards leadership. They don't want to be leaders. And who blames them when they see the politicians on television going at each other like they do? Or church leaders going at each other like they do? Who blames them? And yet at the same time, there's so many of you who serve and who lead with your gifts, and we are ever so thankful for you. But in saying that, we believe it is a time for the desire to be a leader for God's kingdom to grow. The Bible says it is a good ambition. If a, if a person wants to be a bishop, that's a good thing, not a despised thing. The deal is this, what Judges tells us, if, if we don't, Judges tells us that a leaderless culture becomes a culture where people only do what they feel like doing. We become like the Israelites. In those days, there's no leader in the nation. So the people just did whatever they felt. Never ever in history have we had a culture that was so led by their feelings. Never. Oh yeah, if it feels good to you, if you feel like it, listen, it's time to grow where leaders say we're not led by feelings but by revelation. So it's time to grow in influence. And look, we had a season where Simon and his team just was a champion and, and, and cheering you guys on to make an impact in your individual lives wherever you live and work and that's ramping up and, and just a stellar job. But it's time to enlarge this issue of influence. It's not just about me and my influence, it about, it's about us also. And we, we want to take it to the next level, and so the board just put a stake in the ground. This building is not a building for us just to do some churchy things in. This building is a building to interface with the community for the kingdom of God, to say, hey, look, we're putting our money, we're putting our time, we're putting our efforts where our mouth is at, so we can say, let's go for it, guys. Last Sunday morning, I wasn't even preaching. It's funny, last Sunday morning I woke up at 3 o'clock. Go figure. This morning I didn't wake up till 7. I woke up in a rush going, my alarm didn't go off. I usually get up at 5. I don't sleep till 7. What's going on? I, 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 don't have a, I don't have an explanation. But I know last Sunday morning at 3, I, I believe I was awakened by the Spirit of God. And I knew it was Him because it came with clarity and resolve. And I was having a little bit of a de de debate with Him. I kept using the word freedom, 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 freedom. And He kept saying, no, not freedom, victory. They're not the same. One will lead to the other. 
but they're not the same. And I went to that scripture in Isaiah 54, 3. It kept rolling over my head. You're going to expand to the right and the left. Your descendants, these generations that are right on your heels, they're going to inherit places that they've never had before. And they're going to make desolate. They're going to rebuild things that have been broken down, things that have been destroyed, things that people have deserted because they just have been shattered. And then all of a sudden it started coming quick. So make sure you follow me on this because this is how it started coming. C3 Victory Center. And all of a sudden the words came so clear I didn't have to define it. I got up and I just started putting them on the computer as quick as possible. It's like God is saying, Victory Center is going to be a place where there is victory over self-harming and suicide. Where, where there will be victory over depression. Where there will be victory over poverty. Where there will be victory over domestic violence where there will be victory in living, where there will be victory in relationships, where there will be victory in learning, where there will be victory in health. And then he said, these ministries and service that take place through the center to serve the community by supporting, informing, and empowering. That's it. End of it. I went, right. It's time. It's time to commit to this. It's time to make it happen. Because back to Isaiah... 54.2, right there in the middle of that, between spreading out and strengthening, he says, do not spare. One version says, don't hold back, spare no expense. I'm going to ask uh, Pastors Janet, Pastors Darren and Beck, Pastors Nate and Rachel come up to the stage with me as we prepare to do this. Because it's time. Not just time to do an exciting message and great music and fun atmosphere and watching our kids dancing down the front and getting excited. I'm glad they're learning how to dance because uh, when the music moves me, it moves me ugly. <laughs> and they look pretty good. And it's time to commit to this. And we're saying, as, uh, as the pastors over the campuses in the house, that we're committed first and foremost to the Lord. We know that. But we're also committed to his house. And the house that he's planted us in is this house. We love his house all over the world, but this is our home. We are in a covenant with each other for you and with you. We're committed to this calling and we're committed to finally saying, um, not finally, but finally committed to saying, we're, we're going to sow again and again, and again, into this thing uh, to influence our city and beyond for his kingdom. That never gets old to us because it's something you never reach the end of in your lifetime. How do you measure that? How do you say enough? How do you say don't ask any more? How do you do that when there are broken lives? How do you do that when suicide is getting more popular or more that's just happening more and more around our area. How do you do that when depression is at an all-time high? How do you do that when lives are broken, marriages are crumbling? How do you do that? How do you do that when people's teenagers are getting hooked on ice? How do you say, no more, no more? God in heaven didn't look at the angels and say, look, I sent him down to heal them, to bring the kingdom. No more. Don't ask him. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to put him on the cross. No more. 
No more. That's enough. They don't deserve it. It's enough. No. You hear the Father releasing heaven's best, saying, there's still more. As long as there are, there are broken people, as long as there are lost people, as long as there are people who need life abundantly, then I'll keep giving. See, God didn't just give His Son and it was finished. For 2,000 years since His Son, He keeps giving. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that He calls us His children. I mean, He just keeps lavishing again and again and again and giving. And we stand here today to say to you, we're committed to this. I want to ask Beck. We got a microphone somewhere? Yeah. Ooh, yep. Thank you, Tim. I want to ask Beck. You guys have been doing this for nearly 20 years. Pastor Beck, I should be, respond, be respectful, shouldn't I? Um, you guys have been doing this for sowing into this. You came here just as a young couple. Your, your story tonight is going to be, I think it's going to be epic. Because we got so many people who have grown up in church, not like Earl and myself. We didn't grow up in church. And we gave our testimony in Christina. We didn't grow up in church. But you grew up in church as a pastor's son. And I think of all people, you have every right to go, nah, not me. I don't want anything to do with this. I've seen what it costs. And yet back in 99, I think it was, you guys said, it's now our time to pay the cost. And you've been doing it ever since, nearly 20 years together that's not what you came to victory for I'm not going to tell you a story they can hear it tonight but Beck why do you keep doing this it's it's one of those things I go you know when we come to this time each year and it's sort of like you know it's time to give over and above you know it's not just my tithe it's not just sometimes we kind of had a good crumb week and so we you know hang on, go, hang on. Oh. crumb week that, that doesn't mean crummy she, she had a Sorry. business called Crumb. Yeah, I should have called, yeah. clarified. But, you know, it's such an opportunity to really kind of go, this is really where our heart is. Right. You know, this is where we're at. And I see it as such a community thing. It's not just for Darren and I to do or us to do as a family or talk with the kids, you know, about how they want to give and contribute. But, like, it, it's all of us together that's actually going to make right. the difference. If right. we're going to influence the city... We're not going to do it as one person or as two people. Come We're going to do it all together. That's right. It's, we can, we can want it and believe it and have faith for it all we want. But when we don't do it together, it's, it's just going to fall flat. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like this. I, I love this. It's, it's exciting to know that we can have an influence when we're in it together. Right. Come it's, on. Yeah. Which is good. No, hang on to that. So you guys have kind of come in now as the campus pastors here, and it's been a journey for you. I remember you going to England. Yeah. I have to be honest with you. I thought my head was never see him again. And uh, you and I had a conversation down the front at Fraser Parade, and I thought, yep, he's gone in his heart, and he'll never be back. And to see the journey that you've been on has been absolutely oh, it's astounding. I love it. Um, and because it's not just a journey... To be in ministry it's been a journey with God in a way that you would have never predicted yeah. and I've seen him do this didn't start with hey would you guys one day consider this this started with you guys in the transformation of your life as that you encountered the Spirit of God and it just flows out of that it's, it's great to see so I guess you're the newbies of us six up here yeah. we can call you the young ones compliment yeah it is because I guess we're the oldies and they're the oldies to be and you're the young snots and yeah 
<laughs> Speak for myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but sweet. Rach, tell us, I'm gonna let Rach talk because you're preaching next week. Yeah. As we start month of rest. And uh, I'm gonna let Rach talk. We hear a thing which is beautiful. But you know, why buy in now, Rach? After you, you traveled Europe, you saw the world, you did the almost, you know, the millennial thing. But it wasn't enough, was it? No, n it's never enough. Right. No, the only thing that will ever be enough is right. So why this now? Why buy in now? Oh, just, how can you not? How can you what? not buy in when wow. you see God moving through this church and through this community, through individuals and collectively together? What choice do we have but to partner with that, to right. see God extend that and, and go even further? Right. That's it's, right. You know, if you value something, you put your money where your mouth is and you commit yep. to, you know, when the rubber hits the road, we can talk about all these nice things, but where does the action come in? You know, like yeah. if you believe it, you partner with that. And I think again, of anybody, you would have the right to go, I saw my parents go through those pioneering years yeah. of what it took to break rock and hack through the bush and that's not my life. And yet you go, why not? Why not? How, how can you how not? How can you? How can you? Because you got captivated Sorry. by the beauty of the church. Oh, it's the beauty of, of the Father, you know, that he would choose to partner with us to yeah. see his kingdom extended. So when we talk to church, we're not talking structures. No. We're not talking buildings. We're not talking we, we, programs. That's right. We're now talking. This new wine is mm. us. Yep. How can you not mm. sow into us? Yeah. I think yeah. the other part of it for us too is, you know, like it's... It's great that we want to partner, but we want to teach our children that this is right. what we do. Right. We believe in the church and, yeah. and the call that God has for the, the church, the greater church. And so we want to teach our kids that this is normal. This is, this is how we yeah. function. And so even though you, you two grew up in pastors' homes, they must have imparted to you a love for the church, without a doubt. What do you reckon? <laughs> Sometimes. No, of course they did. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't want to take your sermon away. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.